Today's HR Happy Hour show is sponsored by CultureAmp, the platform that turns your company culture into your competitive advantage. Your employee data tells you what's happened in the past, but what if it could tell you what might happen next? Using data from over 3 million employees, CultureAmp's machine learning algorithms make it easy to predict turnover, telling you not just who might leave, but also why. See how you can get ahead of turnover with your free predictive analytics report, now available at cultureamp.com slash happy. You're listening to the HR Happy Hour Show with hosts Steve Bowes and Trish McFarland. Since 2009, the HR Happy Hour Show has been bringing you thought leaders, workplace and technology experts, academics, and more to take on the most important and interesting topics impacting work, human resources, technology, and the workplace. Learn more and listen to all the show archives at www.hrhappyhour.net. Welcome back to the HR Happy Hour Show. My name is Steve Bose. I am joined by, of course, Trish McFarland. Trish, how are you today? I'm doing fantastic. How are you, Steve? I'm well. I feel like a hundred dollars. Oh my god! That. See, that's a good day. Then, as any uh, you know, existing listener would know, that's a that's a really good day. Yes, and no more weather reports either, Trish. I'm done with those uh, for the season here. Okay, unless good. you have a weather update on your end, I know there's been some yeah. tornado action, but you guys are safe and sound where you are. I tell you what, I've been working so much since coming back from um, HR. Fest Asia and HR Tech China that uh, it's been sunny and beautiful. And I know the kids are all in the pools around here, but uh, I've been kind of cooped up inside myself. So no weather okay. update on my end. All right. So I just have one thing to say, and we're going to get right to because we have a great guest waiting in the wings. We want to make sure we have plenty of time for her. One thing only, Trish, as we're recording this, we are recording this show on May 29th. Do you know what that is, Trish? May 29th. The importance of May 29th. Do you know? I, you know, I do know, but why don't you go ahead and be the one to to break the big news? The news is May 29th, 2019, as we record this, it is the official 10th anniversary to the date of the very first HR Happy Hour show, which was titled, oddly enough, just HR Happy Hour. 10 oh, years definitely. ago on this date was the first HR Happy Hour show. How about that? That's actually, it's an accomplishment. So kudos to you. Obviously, I and was- And to you as well, Trish. You've I been was a, a part of my, most of these. Yes. I tell you what, I've only been hosting with you since 2013, which I know is, you know, it's I'm getting there, right? I'm not to my 10-year anniversary yet. But um, <laughs> no, truly, thank you for starting the show because this is something that, um, you know, it grew and grew and grew really quickly. And we've got such a really solid base of listeners. And I'm just really grateful to- not only have listened for you know the first few years as as a listener and and sometime guest and um, thank you for asking me to partner with you in 2013. It's been uh, it's been really interesting and I'm I'm excited actually for the the show that we have today on this 10th anniversary because I think it's it's such an important show and and it just is a testament to kind of the um, the caliber of podcast you've built back then. So congratulations! Well, to you. Thank you and and of course thanks to you for taking it where it's gone to now. Cause uh, certainly without you, we wouldn't be still doing this 10 years later. So thank you. And thanks everybody for listening. So let's, let's get right to it. I think Trish enough patting ourselves sure. on the back, or me patting, me <laughs> patting course. myself on the back. Okay. Our guests, we're talking about learning today, enterprise learning, 
L&D in the workplace this is a huge topic and exciting topic for this year. And, and no, we have a great guest here to help us break this down a little bit. Tanya Staples is our guest today. She is the vice president of learning content for LinkedIn Learning, which offers over 14,000 online courses to LinkedIn members and businesses around the world. Before Lynda.com, which you may have heard of, I think you have, before Lynda.com was acquired by LinkedIn in 2015, Tanya served as chief of staff and senior vice president of content and production for Lynda.com, where for 10 years, she worked closely with co-founder Linda Weinman to ensure great instructional content. She earned two bachelor's degrees, first in art history, that's pretty cool, from the University of Guelph, I hope I said that right, and the second in education from the University of Ottawa. So welcome, Tanya, to the HR Happy Hour Show. Tanya, how are you today? Hi, thank you. I'm great. How are you guys doing? Congratulations on 10 years. Thank you. Did you, you. Did you even know you'd be here on such an auspicious uh, HR Happy Hour well, Day? I to be here on such a big day. That's right. Well, that's <laughs> great. But you do represent exactly the kind of person we love to talk to on the show. So I think it's actually really, really fitting. And um, and I don't mean just from can Canadians, who we do like very much. Uh, <laughs> Ottawa is one of my favorite places. I, I, I've been there a number of times. So uh, I feel fortunate. I hope in the spring, in the summer, not in the winter. I'm going to tell you what. Uh, I've been there twice. Both times was very, very cold and snowy and wet. But I still had a good time. So uh, awesome. Tanya, let's talk about learning. Oh, you know, the, the, kind of the the anchor or, or or the hook for this show is the the recently released uh, workplace learning report that uh, LinkedIn published, which is, and we'll put the link to that to the report in the show notes. And it's it's super in depth. Before we get into some of the sub points, maybe uh, Tanya, you could maybe give us a couple of the highlights or the, the the big like, boy, this is really interesting. And this is really what we found uh, is what's happening in learning and development in the organization today. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, thanks for having us to talk about this. We're super, super excited about this, um, this body of work. I mean, I think there's, you know, kind of a few key points. One is um, just this need for continuous learning to always be be present in the workplace. Um, you know, we're now at a point where I think every day new tools are introduced to employees to to use and to be productive. And while that's amazing and, you know, technology is driving a lot of innovation, it's also tough for people to stay on top of the new skills and the new tools that they need. And so learning's kind of been never, you know, more important, right? You know, I think you know, when I went to university, there was sort of this expectation that you could go and you could get your bachelor's degree. And then, you know, the learning part of your life was done. Then you entered the work world and, and that was that. And I think now we're at this just really interesting point where we've really got to be, you know, focusing on helping our employees continuously learn. Um, and we're definitely seeing, you know, the need for that, but then also the demand for that from from employees, you know, in that, you know, 27% of Gen, Gen Z or Gen Z as we would say in Canada and millennials <laughs> say the number one reason, you know, they would leave their job is if they don't feel like they're being developed by their company, if the company's not giving them, you know, enough opportunity to learn and develop and grow. So we're kind of seeing it from, from both sides. So I think that's kind of the big, the big macro point is that we're sort of at this shift, you know, in the industry. And I think it's a really challenging time for L&D because, you know, you think about, okay, I'm a head of L&D for a 15,000 person company. I have software engineers, I have data scientists, I have a sales team, I have a customer support team, you know, I've got marketing, I've got sales. How do I, you know, really make sure that every single employee can get what they what they need? 
Um, and, you know, it's, it doesn't scale to develop, you know, instructor led for every single one of these constituents. So it's really about finding, you know, something that can serve the whole organization. And fortunately, you know, most employees are, you know, about 74% say that they want to learn during their spare time at work versus formal in-person sit down, big, long workshops. So it's really kind of this pivot where I think L&D is trying to figure out how do, how do I serve the broad base of employees with some kind mm-hmm. of solution that they're going to engage in? And then where do I supplement that with things like instructor-led training? Yeah, Tanya, it's, um, it's uh, Tanya. I, I knew I was going to get that wrong once. This is, all right. So I, said, I said your name four times the right way. And then the fifth time I, I went back to the Americanized version. So I apologize for that. The, uh, so, but Tanya, you kind of hinted at something that was important and we wanted to talk about in the show notes, which is, is this idea of uh, people want to learn in their spare time. They want to learn in the, in the flow of work. They want, they want that learning to be, uh, you know, a key part of how they get their, their jobs done. So that, that, you know, connotes this idea of a, a, a culture of learning or, or continuous kind of learning in the organization and not learning as, as, as a separate event or, or uh, something that has to be scheduled and, and, and arranged by some formal uh, process. Uh, I wonder if you could comment a little bit about how you found that the organizations that are successful at creating that kind of culture, uh, what kind of benefits are they seeing and how do they go about sort of instilling that in an organization? Yeah, so I think there there's a couple things. I think one is, and, and you'll see this in the in the workplace learning report, is that more and bo- more L and D um, teams are becoming marketers, not just curriculum developers, right? Because a big part of what they need to do is help employees, you know, get the right content to the right employees at the right time, right? So there's this, you know, need to, you know, um, constantly be recommending content, getting the right content in front of people so that it's, you know, right there when when they need it. So that's, you know, a a really important thing. And then the other part of it is I think the partnership with the C-suite and business leaders in being able to not just have a seat at the table. I think more and more we're seeing that L&D now has a seat at the table. I think, you know, as I'm I'm sure you guys are talking in it with other um, folks that you're interviewing, you know, HR in general is going through a bit of a, a, a pivot of it's not so much HR as it is now talent, you know, acquisition and talent development. And talent is such a key part of what makes an organization successful, that how we're acquiring and developing talent, I think, is really changing across um, the ecosystem and for the better, right? Um, and so, you know, folks in talent have a greater um, seat at the table. And I think that when they can work with business leaders to develop content that really hits on business goals, team goals, and individual goals, that's really kind of when it, you know, when it all kind of comes comes together. And it's also about working with the C-suite to, to make sure that they're giving people the permission slip to take time to actually learn in their day, right? So that it's not just, hey, you know, we, we bought a learning solution or, hey, we have all these options. It's, you know, employees are actually being encouraged and seeing other people in the organization um, partake because it makes them feel comfortable, right, that they can, that they can do that. You know, Tanya, I like that you you said that L&D really needs to become marketers because I think maybe that's where a lot of the training of the past had fallen down, right? People felt like they either didn't know what was available or maybe it was something that was pushed to them and they didn't understand why it was being pushed to them or at them. It feels like that is changing. I know that I've talked to a lot of HR leaders who are saying, you know, both in you know, smaller companies of maybe two to 5,000 you know, all the way up to these really large companies, 
they're really trying to make that culture shift. But I, yeah. I haven't heard anyone quite put it in terms of like being a good marketer, but that really makes sense because, you know, when you're thinking about a whole culture of learning, um, one of the first things I thought of in terms of LinkedIn is you have, you know, even people who are either current candidates or potential candidates of these companies, if your company is is being seen or promoting themselves and marketing themselves as a continuous learning environment, it's bound to start happening, you know, at the very, you know, end of the funnel where you're, we're just getting people to be interested in your company. And that's one of the things that I've seen, um, even in just some of the recent events of say the last two to three months, I've been attending both here in the U S and over in Asia Pacific, there's this, this sort of need to think about how do we start from the very moment a person is a candidate with us showing and demonstrating we're a learning culture all the way through, even maybe after they leave, um, keeping them, you know, as a potential, maybe boomerang, um, because we keep them invested in our learning. Are you seeing companies that you're working with thinking of it truly from that end to end approach from all the way at the very beginning when they're just talking to someone all the way through, even maybe after someone's left, or is that still a little bit of a new idea? I mean, I think that, um, I, I can't think of any real examples that show sort of sort of that you know end to end of talent acquisition through when they've left. But certainly, what we see is from the moment they get hired, mm-hmm. all the way through um, you know their their life cycle. You know, we've done um, some great work with um, Kellogg and with Estee Lauder. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, both of them um, really tried to figure out like how do we move from like an ad hoc reactive, you know, compliance, you know, world to, you know, really getting the employees empowered, feeling like they have what they need. Um, You know, Kellogg um, launched LinkedIn Learning a couple, you know, quarters ago. And, you know, they've already got, you know, people watching over 125,000 videos, over 6,000 hours of content by kind of rolling something out to all of the employees and getting something that is, you know, less reactive and more data-driven and integrated into, into kind of what they're doing. Um, same thing with, you know, Estee Lauder. Um, they really wanted it to become part of the employee's um, everyday life. Um, and so they, you know, rolled out LinkedIn Learning and, you know, have ultimately at this point had um, 5,800 of their employees start engaging in, you know, LinkedIn learning and really looking at courses in leadership, data and analytics and digital marketing, which, you know, aligns really closely with the things they're focusing on as a company. Um, so we're definitely seeing, like I said, that onboarding all the way through, you know, the the employee lifecycle. Um, that's really where we see the bulk of, of L&D involved right now. Thank you. You know, one, just one quick follow-up question too. And I know that many of the listeners may kind of be wondering this. So one of the things I remember reading about, um, you know, Linda, even before it became um, part of LinkedIn and now, you know, has, has turned into LinkedIn learning. Um, can you talk about the difference between the types of videos? Cause you're mentioning these videos that, you know, obviously these, these large customers are sort of taken advantage of with their employee base. Um, I know there are going to be skeptics who say, you know what, I can just point my people to YouTube videos, right? I know, I know there is a big difference in terms of quality or the quality control that goes into play with the videos that you offer as part of LinkedIn Learning. Can you maybe touch on that a little bit, just how that's different from just finding some random video online? Yeah, I mean, so, I mean, first of all, there is great content on YouTube, just like any other user-generated platform. There is, you know, fantastic content out there. 
There's a kind of a couple challenges, though, which is it takes a long time to sift through, you know, for every, you know, one really great, you know, course on online marketing, there might be, you know, 25 or 50 that are not so great. So it's really putting a lot of onus on the learner to have to figure out what is the right choice, right? Part of quality is actually creating a good discovery experience and curating it down to here's the one best online marketing course, not everyone on the planet, right? So that's a, a big part of it. The second is, um, you know, we we really spend a lot of time on really understanding exactly what skills people need in specific job roles. Um, one of the great things that's been part of the LinkedIn acquisition is that, you know, we have access to some really great data that tells us, okay, for an online marketer, what are the top skills that are on you know, job descriptions right now? How is that changing? What new tools are emerging? How quickly are they emerging? Um, what are, you know, what are things that weren't there two years ago that are there now or two months ago, right? So we can really dial in like what people need in the way of skills because we're seeing all of those trends come from, you know, what's on people's profiles, what skills they have, what skills are being endorsed for, as well as, like I said, what what is appearing on uh, on job on job postings so that we can really understand understand exactly what people need both to get a job as an online marketer and to stay ahead and be successful, right? Because there's those two two sides to the equation. So that's another big part, I think, of kind of what goes into the quality aspect is making sure we have the right skills covered. And then the next part that we spend a lot of time on is, you know, we, you know, this is something that Linda um, actually instilled in us, you know, really from day one, you know, Linda, Linda.com started because Linda herself was a teacher, right? And she, she taught web design, she taught CSS and HTML and Flash, you know, back in the day when that was, you know, what people needed to be building websites. And she learned really early on that she couldn't teach everything that, you know, needed to be taught to all of our, our customers and learners. And so she really made it her business that if she either didn't have the bandwidth to teach it, or she didn't feel she was the most skilled at teaching it or didn't have the most expertise to teach it, then she would make it her business to go and find the person that was. So we really spend a lot of time finding real world experts with real world experience to teach these um, real world skills. And, you know, there's a lot that goes into that. They have to have the expertise. Um, they have to be great teachers. Um, that's not always a combination that um, <laughs> necessarily um, is as obvious as it might sound. And then they have to be really great in video, right? They have to be able to draw the learner in and engage them, um, whether you just hear their voice because you see the piece of software that they're teaching or you see them, you know, actually physically on camera because they're teaching um, a soft skill. So there's, you know, a lot of work that kind of goes into, you know, all of those different aspects, which is, having the one great, you know, best course on a topic, making sure that this, the courses that we are topic are, sorry, are teaching are really um, infused and um, really driven by uh, the data we see of the skills people actually need, and then making sure we have the right, the right instructor. And then of course, there's an entire, you know, production process that, that goes into it um, as well, which, you know, we can talk about, but I think those are some of the three, you know, the three key things that really you know, differentiate what we're doing. Thank you. Ten, yeah, yeah Tanya, thanks for, well. yeah, uh, elaborating on that a little bit, right? Uh, as one who's uh, scoured YouTube for things uh, <laughs> as recently as like yesterday, trying to get my phone to work in, in a certain way after I screwed up my phone uh, and I spent like probably an hour looking at dumb videos before I found something that was a little bit helpful. Uh, right. That's really uh, appreciated. 
Ten, you talked about skills uh, quite a bit uh, mm-hmm. in the last few minutes. I, I'd like to maybe talk about that just a bit more, only because I spent some time with the Workplace Learning Report uh, yesterday and this morning. And according to the research, uh, L&D professionals and talent developers are saying the identification and the ability to help uh, the organization close skills gaps was their number one kind of focus area or priority. And there's plenty of other focus areas and priorities as well, but that one was number one. So maybe I'd love for you to comment a little bit about that, about how L&D professionals are really trying to address these problems, because we hear that all the time, right? We Organizations can't find the people they need, or they can't expand into certain markets, or they can't uh, launch new products or services, et cetera due to a lack of the right skills they need. So I, I maybe love for you to talk about that just, just a bit more in the, in the new organizational context and what you guys are seeing with uh, attacking this skills gap issue. Yeah, I mean, I think that, um, you know, it goes back to sort of what we, we started with at the beginning, which is that, you know, technology is, is changing every person's job every single day, right? And so that creates um, sort of this need to continuously learn. And it also, over time, if people aren't spending the time learning, it can, you know, sort of create create these gaps. And I think that what's happening is, you know, a lot of companies are going through digital transformation, right? They're going through a lot of, of change with their systems, their infrastructure, and that is creating, um, that is creating some gaps um, for folks. And so what we see is there's kind of a couple of gaps that, um, that L&D is trying to tackle. One is the hard skills, right? Sure. And some of the, the skills that we see that they're really trying to focus on are cloud computing, right? We're sort of moving away from this world of people having, you know, their own physical data centers and they're moving everything into the cloud, right? That's a big, you know, big thing that every company is trying to tackle. Artificial intelligence, right? Everyone is trying to figure out how they can use AI in their products to, you know, to drive a better customer experience. Um, data science, user experience, you know, I think um, every product that we have now has, you know, some type of user experience that goes into it. And customers are just a lot more savvy than they used to be, right? Um, I think w- the release of the iPhone in 2007 really changed how people expect products to work. Right. And so UX is becoming a really, really key hard skill for folks um, to be able to um, make sure that every product that gets designed and and released, whether it's a tech product or something else, really has that um, incredible um, user experience to it. And then on the soft skills side, you know, there's a lot of focus on really creativity, persuasion, collaboration is a big one. You know, more often than not, people are having to work in teams versus individual silos. So we see a lot of focus on that. And then, of course, people management remains, you know, a really, really key um, skill. And, you know, some would call that a hard skill. Some would call yeah, it a hard skill. Yeah, I'm glad right? you brought that one up, Tanya, because I'm looking at the report as you have gone through some of these. And, and I, I'm glad you mentioned creativity. I wanted to maybe push back on that one a little bit because I'm super, super interested in how we can help kind of help people become more creative. I think I could use some of that myself, but um, people management ranking really, really high as well as a skill, mm-hmm. whether again, whether or not it's a hard skill or soft skill, I, I think it almost doesn't matter, right? But that's a, yep. that's a critically important skill uh, that many organizations are seeking. Absolutely. I mean, it's we're at a really interesting time where we have, you know, three, sometimes four generations in the same workforce. Right. And so um, people management is becoming real. I mean, people management has always been important. Um, I'm not sure that organizations always put as much emphasis on it as they needed to. But, you know, we're we're in a world where, you know, employees expect to be treated beautifully. Um, our former head of um, 
you know, talent at LinkedIn, Pat Waters always, you know, always says treat people beautifully. And I think that's starting to be or it is an expectation that most employees have now. And, you know, there's always the the infamous quote, people leave um, managers, not companies, right? I think I think that's partially true, not 100% true, but people management is really is really key because it's so important to the employee experience. And, you know, employees um, expect a lot from their managers at this, you know, at this stage. Um, and I think that companies are really starting to, to invest in a more appropriate way as to how we really get, you know, managers operating with um, emotional intelligence, right? How, you know, they adjust their management style to to individual employees, right? Um, it's just becoming, I think, a lot more table stakes, if you will, than it was, I would say, even 10 years ago when we started, you know, doing management and leadership content. You know, I think our first management leadership content was almost 10 years ago, actually, maybe mm-hmm. eight. And it's just, it's a completely different ballgame now for how people expect to be led and managed. Yeah, no, I totally agree. It's, uh, and and some of that is is technologically driven, right? I think some of that's maybe generationally driven as yep, well. Sure. Um, how folks are going to want to be led, be managed, how they want to learn, quite frankly, right? Which is yep. kind of the, what we're talking about today is, is changed a little bit too. And, and I guess I, I maybe kind of hit you with that one, Tanya, is, is are you seeing that too in the research or in your work with employers that employers are having to respond to some of these generational shifts? I know certain people don't love to have the generational conversation, but I, I like it actually. I think it's really cool. I, maybe I'm narrow-minded and I'm simple. I like to think of the world and kind of, I like to categorize it and that helps me. But are, are kind of the newest members, the emerging parts of the workforce expressing uh, uh, just ways that they want to engage with content and, and, and how they want to learn it? And is that different than in the past? Yeah, I mean, all generations rank self-directed learning as their preferred approach to learning, um, but it's definitely the highest with um, Gen Z, Gen Z, and uh, millennials. <laughs> right? That's that's where we see it the highest. You know, it's you know forty three and forty two percent in those particular groups. Um, and for you know Gen Z folks, fifty nine percent don't think that their jobs are going to exist um, the same as it is um, twenty years from now. So they they have a slightly different perspective on why learning is is so important. And I think it's because that generation has, you know, kind of grown up with an iPhone in their hand, right, or an Android phone in their hand, and so they see in a very very different way how things are changing and how that's going to you know ultimately affect them. We also see you know on you know. Um, Gen Z and millennials is much more engaged in mobile, right? That's sort of a no-brainer. Um, yeah. you know, like I said, they're sort of the generation that grew up with iPhones in their hands. Um, so we definitely see, you know, see a lot there. We we were just out in the Asia Pacific region, and Trish mentioned that a second ago too. And I, I just that mobile thing too. I've never seen anybody more into their mobile phones than the folks we met in China and Singapore, right? Trish, I, we saw that just constantly. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I was in Southeast Asia um, in October and I uh, was doing um, a retreat. Um, we were learning how to weave silk with, um, you know, sort of the master weavers in in Laos. Oh, wow. And it was so interesting because, you know, all these women had um, smartphones, right? They were all Android, you know, uh, Samsung Android phones. But it was so interesting because the sort of like, the the desktop computer almost completely skipped that group, right? You know, because they ultimately just weren't in a position, you know, for various reasons um, to be able to have it versus 
mobile really, I, I totally agree. It's just amazing to see like how, you know, it's reaching technology is now able to reach such a broader audience. It's remarkable. And, and it's good too, right? I mean, that that's kind of that continuous learning culture that, that the socialized aspects to it, the ability to put pe- people, engage them uh, with the content they're looking for as they need it, when they need it. Uh, I mean, those are the opportunities for folks and, and, and definitely the ones that you guys are helping organizations certainly um, uh, meet those challenges, right? With the yeah. tools and technologies you guys have made available. Tanya, we've got a wrap. I would like to also just say, we will put the a link to the workplace learning report in the show notes. I strongly encourage everybody listening to check out the report. It's a free download from LinkedIn. It's fascinating stuff. And uh, I learned a lot myself, which is kind of, and uh, I don't say that ironically, or, you know, I learned a lot reading about learning uh, in the last couple <laughs> of days. So excellent. Uh, Tanya, any last kind of recommendations or thoughts you want to leave with the audience before we let you go and, and, and we continue celebrating the 10th anniversary of the HR Happy Hour Show? I mean, I think it's, I think the last thing I would just say is I just feel like it's such a, I don't think there's ever been a better time to be in talent and particularly in L&D. I think it's, this is like a new moment um, for L&D to shine. I think that the work that, you know, folks do in L&D has never been more important. And so I just could not be more excited for, you know, folks that are in that profession right now to really, you know, help individuals, teams and, and companies make, you know, tremendous business impact. I think that she's right. It's it's there's so many opportunities now for L and D because of all the tools that are available that were not available ten or twenty years ago. So, what a perfect time to to check out the report and to check out LinkedIn Learning if you haven't already. It's it's something can really like revolutionize your entire culture of your business. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, Tanya, thanks so much for taking some time today to join us on the HR Happy Hour Show on our tenth anniversary. Thanks so much absolutely. again. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Yeah, our pleasure. So uh, we'll wrap it up, Trish. Great ten. It's been a great ten years. Here's to another ten years. So uh, for our for Trish McFarland, my name is Steve Bose. Thank you, of course, for supporting the HR Happy Hour Show for all these ten years. Here's to another great run. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. We will see you next time, and bye for now. Thanks to our friends at Culture Amp. Discover how you can use predictive analytics to forecast employee turnover with your free guide available at cultureamp.com slash happy. That's cultureamp.com slash happy. Thanks for listening to the HR Happy Hour Show, your source for information and conversation on work, the workplace, technology, and more. Learn more and listen to all the show archives at www.hrhappyhour.net.